Hi, I'm Dave Bazuki, founder and CEO at Roblox, and you're listening to Tech Talks, a podcast about the people and ideas that are shaping the future of the metaverse. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the most innovative technologies that have emerged in this new category and sharing stories with the Robloxians that are building them. Today, I'm joined once again by Arseni Kapulkin, Technical Fellow at Roblox, to kick off our second season of the Tech Talks podcast. We're going to be talking about Luau, the programming language that powers the Roblox engine and the ways in which we've evolved it to make it more performant and even better to use. Let's get started. Hey, Arseni, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for having me for what is, I think, the third time now. Uh, yeah, well, you and I, I think we both love to talk tech, which is the focus of this podcast. And I'm going to kick this podcast off with a little historical, um, really, I, I love talking about things where I had it wrong. And I'm going to kick off with a little story where I had it wrong and roll the clock back a long time ago, over 16 years ago, when Eric and I were coding the very first version of Roblox, we were working on a primitive version of Roblox Studio, a primitive version of the Roblox client, and we were going down the route of hard coding certain gameplay constructs into the platform. Uh, for those of you that are Roblox historians, we had an object in our core game engine called a flag stand. We were starting to look at hard coding things like points and achievements. And Eric uh, pulled me aside one day and, you know, metaphorically said, hey, Dave, you've got it all wrong. We've got to be way more big picture, way more open to this. We need to hook Roblox Studio and the Roblox client up to a scripting engine so we have infinitely more possibilities. I think it's fair to say, Arsene, that I was wrong and Eric was right with that decision. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, it is hard to imagine Roblox uh, getting to where we are today if uh, we stayed in this world of sort of very high level objects that you can combine together and that's it. Yeah, so... I think fortuitously at the time, Eric shared Lua, you know, a long time ago was already being used in World of Warcraft and as a scripting engine in some other games. For our audience, can you share what a scripting language is and just at a high level, what we're talking about when we talk about a programming language in Roblox? Yeah, so... Um... There is, uh, the terminology gets a little nuanced and some people have different perspective of what exactly scripting means. But for us, it's pretty simple. So uh, we needed a full-fledged programming language that is, you know, it's Turing complete, has uh, all of the usual constructs that you'd expect. Um, like you can write functions, you can have loops and control flow. Um, you can access the Roblox engine in some way. Uh, which was important, but all of this has to run within the Roblox client or Roblox Studio. And importantly, because of how Roblox is structured as a platform, even back then, um, there was a critical sort of requirement that the language um, had to be embeddable, as in um, you have a script that somebody uploads to Roblox, and then there is a client executable on somebody else's computer, and you can just send the script to this person's computer and run the script. You don't have to like compile it in native code, distribute an extra binary, things like this. So, and the script has to run not as a separate application, but in context of the Roblox client. Um, and this is interesting because this is, I think, part of Lua um, got successful in this space. It is probably the most popular embedded, em embedded or embeddable um, scripting language. There's a lot of languages uh, that, scripting languages that are used um, elsewhere, you know, like Python, Perl back in the day, um, some other more modern ones. But a lot of these are more standalone and less embedded. You would use them if you write the whole program with them, not uh, instead of just using them to extend uh, sort of your application. So yeah, Lou was 
popular in game development back then. It's kind of interesting. I was looking at some very old historical um, chat logs, and I actually got involved with Lua around 2006, which was way before I joined Roblox, but it's the same timeline that we are talking about. That's really cool. And and this this ability to be lightweight and embeddable and you know, we use Lua throughout our stack. 3D objects have code embedded in them. Models have code embedded in them. 3D experiences have code in them. A couple other languages that are popular are JavaScript and C Sharp. Are there, are there pluses and minuses to Lua relative to those languages? So one big advantage, um, so as I said, Lua is embeddable. C-sharp isn't really embeddable, though JavaScript is, right? Uh, but one big um, aspect that I think drove the design of the Lua language is minimalism. Minimalism is really good when it comes to the embeddability story, because imagine you have an application that you're adding the scripting language to. If the scripting language has lots of features, lots of other libraries, et cetera, some of them may create conflicts with what you want to make possible or impossible in your in your system. Uh, one basic example is within Roblox, the scripts that run are pretty strictly sandboxed. They don't get control or access to the underlying operating system. Uh, there is limited operations that you can do and um, not all languages are happy with this. Like you don't get access to the file system. You don't get access. If you don't get access to the file system, how do you interact? How do you set up interaction between two scripts? Because often the paradigm is, oh, I'm going to require like a module from this file path, but that doesn't really work. So, uh, but Lua is very minimal, which kind of means that you get to build a lot of this um, APIs and things like this on top of the language, and Lua makes it very easy to do so. It, it, it almost requires you to to do this. Like without this, the language is a little less interesting because you don't have access to a lot of stuff, right? So I think this was the big reason why um, kind of uh, Lua got popular in game development. One other interesting property is that. Um, it's pretty performant. We will talk about performance in the future, but even back then, Lua was one of the fastest um, scripting languages at the time, one of the fastest interpreted languages at the time. Uh, JavaScript obviously evolved a lot since then, although in 2006, Java, I don't think, was a very interesting sort of a competitor for this space. Um, C-sharp is problematic from this perspective because the C-sharp performance story is all around Jira native compilation and things like this, yeah. which is perfectly fine for the domains that C-sharp really um, excels at maybe you do a server side, uh, server side backend, or maybe you build an executable and distribute it to the client. But in this embedded space, you really want interpreted performance to be really good. Um, so this is this is part of this. Lul has a bunch of things that it kind of so happened. Uh, I think uh, partly through coincidence, partly through the fact that the game development community got involved with Lua pretty early on, even before the timeline that we are talking about, and kind of pushed it a little bit to satisfy some of the use cases better. Um, so garbage collection in Lua tends to be a little bit different and a little bit better for the game use case, for the interactive applications use case. So there is a few things like this, but I think the biggest reason I think why we stuck with Lua is it has this balance between being simple, minimal, and easy to build on. But at the same time, it's not too simple. It's not a toy language. It's, um, I think we have proven that you can write very complex programs um, on top of this. Uh, our internal code base is around a million lines of code now, as in uh, we have a lot of code that we write in this language that powers our app, powers Studio, and um, a few in-game elements. So clearly you can write very complex programs with that. There was, there was a magical time when we first connected Roblox, the Studio, and Client to Lua. And rather than an incremental over several months, there was a day when all of a sudden it all just worked. And this revolves around uh, something that I think people refer to as reflection and the fact that Roblox was already object oriented, built on classes with methods, uh, properties and events. And when we flipped the switch, all of a sudden, every object method function or event we wanted exposed was all right there. And all of a sudden, someone could do amazing things. Can you just 
explain what that means? Yeah, so as I mentioned, um, Lua is an embedded language, and if you add support for Lua to whatever application you're writing, uh, by default, this doesn't mean that the scripts inside your application get access to any state or functionality that your application has. And Roblox um, Engine has this concept called the data model, which is a hierarchical tree of objects, and every object has properties and functions. And... Um, it was very important that it's not just the fact that you can write scripts, and it's not just the fact that the scripts can do certain very specific, like a small subset of very specific things um, that modify the engine state, but it was important that the scripts get access to all of the public engine API, this entire data model structure, all of the objects, properties, functions, et cetera. So um, because of this very early on in Roblox, uh, a reflection system was born. So reflection system in Roblox is a, um, it's a C++ framework that uh, you can use to describe to anybody who wants to know the structure of an object. So what properties does it have? What functions does it have? For any function, what arguments does it take, et cetera? And it's pretty minimal and it's uh, pretty comprehensive in the sense that it supports most of the types that we uh, we would want to support. The um, in one, one other interesting part about this system is that um, it's one of the systems that survived in Roblox without a lot of the um, conceptual changes, I would say. There's definitely been a lot of like work that we've done on the system over the years, but I think the structure of that was preserved and it was written by Eric way back when, right? Yeah. Um, so this speaks to the quality of the uh, of some engineering that was done very, very early on in Roblox, right? But um, so you describe the shape of your objects and then we have a layer that uses the reflection system and exposes all of these two scripts. And so essentially today for a lot of people who work on the Roblox engine, they don't think about you know, they don't have to write special code to expose any part of the functionality that they add to strip. They just say, okay, hey, in my object, I have this property called foo and it has a type float. Cool. Now any script knows that for every object of this type, there's this property called foo, you can read it, you can change it. And whenever you do it, it actually goes, it actually affects the C++ structures inside the Roblox engine. Awesome. Um, so... Over the last 15 plus years, as we've become very familiar with Lua, it's fair to say that we've discovered areas where there's things our developer community has shared with us they'd like to see. And this leads into the amazing work our team has done on tweaking, improving, adding to this can you share some of the requests we've had from our developer community or we've seen inside and then how we've responded and what additions we've made to the stack? Mm -hmm. So um, I think broadly, um, if you think about the history of Lua at Roblox, for the first, I would say maybe 10 years or so, we were treating this strictly as an off-the-shelf programming language that somebody has created. It has some design thought and implementation behind it that other people um, have put into this. Um, and uh, we are just a consumer of the language. Like, obviously we are a big platform, obviously our users interact a lot with this, but we just use the language as it is. Um, over time, the more we started more heavily relying on this language for our internal code, um, and also the larger the community grows, the more um, people come to the platform, a few patterns emerged. Um, one theme, one running theme was performance. I said Lua um, is pretty fast, but there's always a question, how far can you push the performance? And uh, for a lot of features at Roblox and scripting language broadly is such a feature for sure, there's a significant amplification effect. Um, if you are working on a single game um, or on a single application outside of the gaming space, is it worth spending some time to make it 3% faster? Eh, who knows? Maybe users will see it, maybe not. It's not clear. But for us, there's a big, big, big amplification factor. When we make anything X% percent faster, 
so many things on Roblox get faster because of this. And it's especially true for when we're talking about the scripting language, it's the experiences that developers create, it's our own application, it's plugins within our editor, Roblox Studio. There's just a lot of impact. And we looked at this and we asked the question, uh, what is really our performance deficit to what we can make happen without compromising some of the important properties of the platform, like embeddability, et cetera, et cetera. And the answer was not a few percent. The answer was like several times. Um, uh, so the other big problem that we started running into is when you create these large programs with hundreds of thousands and like uh, up to uh, now it's a million lines of code for our internal code base. And even for experience that developers create, there are games with um, 100,000 lines of code. It can be difficult to ensure correctness of this code, especially in a language like Lua where um, types are dynamic, meaning the compiler doesn't check your types ahead of time. Suddenly a typo anywhere in a script could cause some functionality to misbehave. And the more lines of code you have, the more it's a problem because the connections between different modules are not always clear. And uh, there were also a lot of quality of life things that we thought, hey, maybe we can improve on. There was a lot of tooling that we thought we could make um, if we had a richer sort of language implementation around this. And so this marks a big transition. We've talked in this podcast through now about Lua. Um, we now refer to the language that we use as Lua, which is not, a, it's not just like a naming thing. Uh, what actually has happened several years ago is we said, we need a new language, but for our community, it would be beneficial if it's not a new language that they have to learn. It's not, uh, for example, we, in, we integrate a new language and to gain performance improvements or productivity improvements, you have to rewrite these hundreds of thousands or millions. Or if you look at our community in total, in aggregate, it's like a mind blowing amount of code that everybody has written over the last decade and a half, right? So um, how do we make a language that builds on top of Lua that fixes all of these deficiencies, improves it in all of these ways, maintains the spirit of Lua maintains, um, you know, we still want it to be minimal. We still want um, it to be easily embeddable, etc. But how do we push it forward? So I forget when exactly we uh, officially started calling this Lua, but um, since last year we uh, actually open sourced it, which we'll talk about later. At this point, the name is very official, right? Because it's like a language that people can integrate now. Um, so yeah, performance, type safety, um, some ergonomics, and richer tooling are were the running stories that made us kind of go there. So there was, um, let's dive in on perf and typing. Uh, this is maybe one of the funnest days I ever had at Roblox in that, Arsene, you and the team were working on a high-performance uh, new interpreter and it was weeks and weeks where we were doing little tests. Is it 100% compatible? Is it 100% compatible? We got to 99, 99.9%. .9%. We ran some tests and we said, okay, we think we're 100% compatible. We threw a switch. Uh, no one within the Roblox community knew we were throwing the switch. But every single place, every single experience running code on our servers immediately got some percent faster. It was, those are such fun things because I think it contributed heavily to the growth of the platform when everything got faster at the same time. Do you remember any anecdotes about that process? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, a couple of things to know around this. So this was hard, right? Um, we have, this scripting engine that we rely on, that every game relies on, there's so much code that we know nothing about. It's not just the case of we have, uh, at this point, maybe half a million lines of code that we have written. If they change behavior, we can change the code to adapt to the new behavior. But there's so much code that the community has created. There's so many odd things that you could do um, in, in, in any programming language where 
no matter how few features you have, you combine all of them in sort of one, one, one code base and how does this all interact? So this was definitely risky. Um, the other, the, the, the thing to note there is, so the, uh, we tried to make this as incremental as possible. For example, when we rolled out the first version, we rewrote two components. We rewrote the bytecode compiler, which takes the source code and produces bytecode that we can then interpret. <clears throat> and we rewrote the interpreter itself. But we couldn't, um, we wanted to minimize. This was like the minimum amount of work that we could do in one shot. Uh, for example, we didn't touch the garbage collection, garbage collection, although since then we have substantially written the garbage collector as well, just after, after the first initial step. We haven't touched in this first phase a lot of the uh, libraries and data structures around the runtime, although again, since then a lot of work has been done on this. But yeah, this was a big thing. We developed it internally first um, as like a proof of concept because there was a square Question, can we actually get much more performant? Um, the answer was actually yes. Uh, we could get substantially more performant on our benchmarks. Um, this was several times faster than uh, kind of the code that we started with, right? So, okay, the next step is um, as many corner cases as we can uh, find ahead of time, we should. So we ran this on our internal code. We ran this on tests that Lua comes with. We um, built a fuzzing framework which synthesizes random scripts and then feeds them into the compiler and then even tries to run them and then you know you can't easily check on something like this it's harder to check if the behavior is the same but at least we check um can you crash the system etc so we did a lot of this and then we said okay we think this is pretty ready and then we um tried uh, sort of running this, I think, in studio and then in live games, and there were a few bugs and we had to fix a few bugs. The scary part about this is all of this is live, as in the Roblox platform, you know, every day millions of people um, participate in experiences, use studio to build, um, and we are doing all of this work and it's really scary because this work could break the entirety of Roblox. Um, but um, eventually, you know, um, we we had to do a couple of iterations and then we thought it's ready and then we flipped the switch. And yeah, I think the beauty is people generally didn't notice uh, because the behavior is the same, but the performance is better. And uh, this was the first big step, but since then we've done a lot more work on performance, et cetera. Once you replace um, the underlying system, the new system, you can iterate from that. So like this big step is really scary. Subsequent steps are much less scary because they can be much smaller. But yeah, this was definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, that was, well, it was so fun to me. And as expected, when even though the user community and developer community might not explicitly know, we can see those numbers reflected in growth. And we always believe perf influences growth. You, so Arsene, you drove an initiative at Roblox as we built all of this out to open source our internal Luau extension to Lua. Uh, can you talk a bit about why we did that? And also, what have you seen since we've done that from mm -hmm. the community? Yeah, so um, a couple of things on this. I mean, one is, so our platform was built in Lua and Lua is open source, right? Has always been. Um, and I think in some sense, we just felt it was fair to the world at large, uh, to everyone, both inside Roblox and, <clears throat> Roblox and outside of Roblox, to um, get access to the great work that we are doing. Because um, if Lua didn't exist, it's not clear what path Roblox would take, right? If, if in general, open source scripting languages didn't exist as a thing, would we even go down this path? How long time would it take us, et cetera? Um, so um, I think we felt that we owe the world something, right? And uh, while we didn't have significant changes to Lua, it didn't matter as much, but now we have this big initiative where we're making the language much, much better. So it felt like the world um, kind of should, should, should use it as well. The other thing about this is we just genuinely felt that what we are doing 
is better than Lua, but it fits the same niche in a sense. And so um, to the extent possible, I think if somebody has a question today, oh, I'm starting, I don't know, I'm starting a new startup that has the scripting component to it and what language should I go? Uh, well, maybe it should be the language that we are building because we are trying to, we are not trying to create something that only works for Roblox use case. We are trying to create something that is general, but fills the same niche, the same uh, niche of embeddable scripting languages, great performance, but also scales up to larger programs, more complex um, things. So I think this was some of the motivation. The other one is also our community is already, um, there is a lot of people in the community who have, uh, you know, who are studying um, in the CS program, who want to tinker with technology. They come to Roblox because it's this rich environment where they can program and, you know, have fun. And some of them want to kind of peek under the covers. And uh, there's always this complex question, like how much what technology is proprietary, what technology isn't. But with this, we felt that uh, community, our community will also benefit from A, having a very deep understanding uh, of how all of this works under the hood, but B, being able to participate in the process. Um, because uh, once we open source the language, there's a few things that start happening. A, some people started using it outside of Roblox, which is great. Uh, B, some uh, people from the development community on Roblox um, started contributing, you know, small fixes, um, some improvements, things like that. And a lot of this goes, all of this goes into the Roblox platform. So somebody, uh, one uh, basic example is the type system that we implemented powers autocomplete in Roblox Studio, uh, among other things. And somebody was uh, building an autocomplete um, engine sort of for external editors based on this open source framework. And they said, oh, hey, I don't like how some of these things are presented to the users. Um, I want to improve some of them. So they submitted a bunch of pull requests, like at, at 10 maybe at this point or whatever. This is all ongoing. And we merged them and they're now part of Roblox Studio. And so the Roblox users who know nothing about the uh, fact that this is an open source language that they can look at the implementation of get to have a little bit better experience inside the Roblox ecosystem because we open sourced, right? So I think there is a great confluence on this. We have, uh, we engage both with um, people who view Luau as specifically the Roblox language and also with people who use it outside. There's a few fun things that people build outside. Um, I was just looking today at, uh, uh, at some sort of generative modeler where you assemble a complex uh, set of nodes where every node produces like a 3D object, a set of 3D objects, and you connect all them. And um, all of this is like outside of Roblox, but it uses Luau as a scripting language, which is super cool. Hey, just while we're on the top, one quick topic, and then we're gonna jump to the future. Philosophically, as you work with the open source community and we expand typing in Luau and the expansion of the language, do you have a philosophy around whether a raw Lua script should always run in Luau right. or over time mm -hmm. will those bifurcate? Mm -hmm. This is actually super important. Um, so part of the challenge with Lua as a language is that um, the current release of Lua is 5.4. Uh, when Roblox started in 2005, 2006, uh, the current release was 5.1. Um, and actually, if you look at the use of Lua today, there's fragmentation in this question of which version of the language are you using, because each version of each subsequent version of the language introduced breaking changes. And because of this, there is many large programs and Roblox was one of them for, for, for many years, right? They just run on 5.1 because you can't upgrade to 5.2 because it breaks some things and you can't break things. And it's interesting that Roblox always had this philosophy of extreme backwards compatibility, you know, uh, there is, um, Dave, I know there is places that you have built on Roblox that you can actually go today if you can find them and you can play them and they work. And it's amazing because it's like 20, 2006, 2007, something like this, right? Um, and this is what we want. 
And especially this is what we want for the code that people write in the platform. And so to the extent possible, we try to make sure that we are backwards compatible with our entire past, which includes Lua 5.1, right? So um, this is something we pay a lot of attention to. There is sometimes corner cases, there is a small difference between um, perfect provable compatibility that can get in the way of innovation, as in it's impossible to uh, write any program that changes its behavior because there is this thing called Hiram's law, which is essentially saying any behavior in your system, whether you document it or specify it or not, given sufficient number of users of your system, people will start treating it as a contract that you provide them, which then means you can't change anything in your system because any change that you have is user impact and backwards compat breaking. So it is this. Um, so we try, like there is occasional cases where we know we can slightly change behavior and we know it doesn't actually break compatibility, but this is very, very rare. So yeah. Um, all of the language extensions and things like this, we've explicitly done them in a way that you can take uh, a program you've written 15 years ago in Lua and it'll still work. And this is really, really important for us as the compat story. Yeah, now that I think about it, we probably get that for free, right? Because we have so much legacy 5.1 Lua scripts out there. Exactly. Like there's no way not to be. Exactly, we, can, we can't. And uh, and this is actually interesting because we've talked um, in the past about, for example, okay, hey, so we can't technically break backwards compatibility, but maybe we can tell people that uh, they flag their new code with some version attribute. And um, we try to not do things like this either because there is a lot of other stuff that, so imagine uh, you have written a tutorial seven years ago that teaches somebody how to program um, in Lua on Roblox. Somebody goes to this tutorial today, copies a, a little bit of code, like 10 lines, pastes them in their program. Ideally, they wouldn't need to know that we have done a lot of innovation over the years, it would work, right? And so yeah, to the extent possible, we try to make sure that everything is backwards compatible without any extra like annotation that features are additive. And, uh, and in that spirit, minimalism of original Lua that we try to preserve helps a lot. It's very, very, very difficult to build on top of a very complex foundation. It's much, much easier to build on top of a much simpler foundation because you have fewer features that have complex, unpredictable interactions and you introduce a new feature and suddenly um, things break because you didn't anticipate some of that. It's uh, so I'd say, I'd say Lua, 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 we were really fortunate in that any other language, we talked about JavaScript, we talked about T-Sharp, I think probably any other language um, that was reasonably mainstream at the time would have been much harder to innovate from. That's cool. Well, Arseny and I were talking, I pulled one of many, many uh, Lua language tutorial and understanding books off my shelf. I read that it's a 2017 book. I'm flashing it at Arseny, and now I have a fair amount of confidence that this book is still 100% valid and everything inside of it I could use given our backwards. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, best practices sometimes change, right? So um, I think this is natural that maybe... Um, uh, in a year, somebody writes this book and uh, they recommend that you write the code in a slightly different way. But all of the advice that you have learned before, you should be able to still apply and it should still work fine. Okay, hey, let's um, let's turn our focus to the future and we'll go um, in two clusters. One would be the future of the language itself and our vision on Luau. And then... I'll go lightning round after the language one with how we take this raw material language inside Roblox and how we might use it as a consumer. But let's start with the language itself. Any directions you see Luau expanding to? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the, um, we are trying to be very minimal. And so I think a lot of the directions that we are going into um, are probably can be easily seen from kind of where we have gone to so far. So the type system, um, it grows much more robust. We are working a lot on that. And um, I think it's going to be much easier to use that system in the future 
even though the sort of the syntax and a lot of the external facing attributes won't change much. It's like better error messaging, more correct type inference, things like that. Uh, performance is going to improve. So I think a lot of these things, um, one, one difference maybe in philosophy that we have with um, some other languages is for any given user facing property, like here's a new feature that is user visible, you can ask how deep is the amount of work that has been done behind the scenes. And in some cases, you see that the amount of work behind every feature is relatively small, as in you have many features and not a whole lot has been spent on perfecting the internals. For us, the ratio is way off the chart in the other direction. Like we'd rather have one new syntactic element that we introduce in a given year, but then have a whole lot of internal improvements that just make everything better for everyone um, without sort of introducing new, new syntax then flip that way. So I think a lot of that. Um, one, um, there's a few specific features that kind of I'm looking forward to. Uh, one big thing is, and again, we are trying to find the balance around a lot of this stuff, but in Lua, the language, um, really there is only one complex data structure, which is a table, which is a dictionary that maps any value to any other value which is really powerful. Um, it's it's surprisingly powerful. You can build arrays out of this. Um, you can build dictionaries out of this. You can build uh, objects out of this. Um, but we are seeing some limitations with how it interacts with type checking, with how it interacts with some performance questions. And so one thing that I'm looking forward to is we are starting to look into, if you were to have the new, a new sort of data type inside your scripts, which allowed you to describe the object structure, similar to how we do with reflection, like my object has a mortgage structure, it has these properties, um, it has these values, um, what would it gain us? So uh, we are thinking about this, which makes the object-oriented programming a little bit nicer, which makes performance a little bit nicer. So we are thinking about things like this. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the work that happens is um, really satisfying, but internal. And so I think a lot of the work is, which is good because um, the, other, the other factor that we are trying to be cognizant of is how much do you have to follow the evolution of the language to stay on top of it? Um, language that developed very quickly in terms of the user-facing features can be daunting because you know that whatever book you have read today, a book tomorrow will obsolete a lot of the stuff that you have learned. And it can be challenging to constantly try to keep up with this, which sounds okay if your old code still works, but maybe you're working with somebody else and they have read the book from this year on the language and you haven't. And now they're using these new constructs that uh, you know, you're trying trying to use uh, that, that you don't understand and like it's difficult. So uh, we are trying to be cognizant of this, but there is uh, a few big things, one of them being this a new data type that um, I think are gonna be good overall for the language. Um, okay, hey, let's jump forward to the future of how we at Roblox might use the language. Before we do that, Arsene, I'm going to try to recall all the different areas we use Luau, and then I'm going to ask you to tell me if I'm missing anything. Um, In-game scripting, scripts embedded in 3D objects, so objects can carry behaviors with them. Uh, tools inside Roblox Studio that have intelligence uh, ultimately, uh, tools inside Studio that connect to the cloud and use that as an interface. Are, are those the big areas or am I missing something? Uh, yeah, I think they're the big areas. Uh, the, the, the only one other category is the internals of the Roblox app. Um, yeah. which uh, which is pretty big. So if you have a mobile phone and right now you open Roblox on it, the interface you interact with before you actually enter the game, this is powered by a lot of Luau code that the team at Roblox has written. Yeah, and that's, a, that's actually a radically critical dog fooding example in that for all of you, either on any of the Roblox apps, you're actually consuming a bundled collection of Roblox Luau that is using the exact same interface as UI toolkit that we use inside of the Roblox engine. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, I was reminiscing on this. 
uh, I think 15 years ago, I thought of um, Lua and written languages in general from this lens of like, this is what you write uninteresting code in and all of the important code you write in C++. I have significantly changed my mind on this yeah. sense. And today, C++ code is scary. Like C++ is. code is, you know, memory safety issues and like exploits can happen and it's hard to control the runtime of that. And uh, today, all, almost the assumption is, okay, here's a complex system. Can we afford to write it in Luau? Right, and if the answer is yes, then oh my god, we should. And there's other benefits as well, um, like live updates and things like this. But yeah, this I think are the areas today. There's okay. there's few things that uh, I'm looking forward to from the sort of where do we take this right perspective. So let's, without announcing any product functionality or ship dates or even whether we would even do it. I'm going to move Arsony to an Arsony brainstorming lightning round of just, could we someday? And this is, um, say yeah, what? Like completely theoretical. This right? is completely theoretical. And these are more, uh, consider these Dave Bazuki funny ideas, and they may be outrageous. So number one, you know, we've introduced a new material system on Roblox where we're starting to create cross-platform materials that define a much more physically based type of constructing objects. And these materials run on all devices, PC, Mac, iOS, Android, you name it. Behind the scenes, in, there's a future where there's a thing called a shader language where rich definitions of these materials could be written, but there's a wide range of shader languages from my understanding on Vulkan, Bare Metal, GL, DirectX, could we ever use a subset of Luau to write shader language? Yeah, um, so this is feasible. Um, there's this general question of GPU compute. Uh, you could use uh, GPUs to draw pixels on screen. You could also use them to accelerate more general <clears throat> program uh, programs. But yeah, um, uh, there's no, there's not a, like this is this is theoretically possible. There's a lot of fun questions. Some of them revolve around the language. Some of them revolve around this notion that again, to Roblox is very key of automatic degradation. When we talk about a program that is written and runs on Roblox, we assume the programmer has specified the exact behavior it has to happen. And we can't easily deviate from this. When we talk about uh, simulation and rendering at Roblox, there is always this notion that we've talked about before of, can we spend 10x less compute on this problem and give you worse looking results, right? And so how do you automatically extract this notion or not automatically necessarily, but how do you help the developer annotate the code maybe to say, or maybe this thing is if you can drop this computation, drop it first, right? Um, so I think these are the interesting questions around this, but yeah, I mean, um, fundamentally um, this, this seems like a solvable problem. Here's another theoretical one, which is, Right now we write Luau script within objects or within individual instances. When we look at some of the places running on Roblox, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people at the same time are running in multiple, multiple instances. So one could imagine trying to write serverless Lambda cloud functions that could run independent of any individual place, but do meta things that could run across all places? Would Luau be a language for such a thing? Yeah, th this is actually where I think it's almost a perfect match because um, the uh, we have features around all of this that uh, give some level of sort of sandboxing and safety, right? So we can, today we run a lot of code uh, on, our servers and we aren't very concerned about what this code might do. Uh, we already have a lot of the APIs exposed through the Roblox engine to talk to our data stores and to talk to asset service and to do general HTTP requests and all of that. So this is where it's almost a perfect match. The only thing that we need to figure out is what is the, um, scalability story as in how many servers can you spawn, right? Because today there is a very clear mapping between, oh, hey, a user is playing your experience. Cool, we need a server running that supports that. So how do you break this link and still have the resource 
or should be sort of sustainable for the platform. Once we figure that out, it's a perfect match, in my opinion. Um, another thing we, we've done internally, and we've been public about this, is we've taken the core Luau language. And because we run all of these experiences on our cloud, and there's a lot of cores to some of these cloud boxes, there's a lot of places in these experiences where we might want 100 Luau scripts running at the same time. So this is an effort we've been calling Parallel Luau, and we've, you know, you've added extensions for our system. Can you give just a quick heads up of what that means to the community? Yeah, so um, this is this is not part of Luau the language, but this is part of the Roblox um, structures and systems and APIs around this. Uh, but this 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 was super difficult and super fun, and we are still sort of in the middle of this because we shipped the first version. But really, the designs that we've done for this a couple of years ago were much more ambitious, and so we haven't fully uh, released all of that. But uh, today, you can r run your scripts on Roblox in parallel on however many CPU cores you have. And the way this works is that you have to structure the ideal case is that you structure your world as um, individual actors and each actor can often be thought of as something concrete in 3D space, like here's a car or here's a person and the person has a brain. And by the brain, I mean a script that has to do complex calculations and sensing of the environment and all of this. And we have this model that tries to balance um, guaranteed to the extent possible safety, as in no deadlocks, no race conditions, all of that stuff, like you write the code and the code works with this question of, can you actually meaningfully write code that is useful in the 3D context. And I think we, we settled on a pretty nice framework around this. Um, and yeah, this is something that the first version of this is accessible on Roblox today. Uh, there's a lot of evolution of this that uh, we we hope to go through, uh, making it better, making the uh, larger number of use cases possible, optimizing everything under the sun that sort of underlies the system, things like that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of um, opportunity there as well. Um, there's one other one I just want to brainstorm with you just very quickly, and this is um, all based on the foundation that developer and creator code is so sacrosanct, and we do so much work to protect it and never allow anyone to see it and to keep it private. Uh, but there is the notion that if we look at all of the Luau code in the whole Roblox developer community, and in a completely privacy obscure way, scanned it and ran it through a big ML giant brain, it would provide enough information in the future to go way beyond autocomplete and get into, you know, hey, make the dog turn green when it hits the curb and get to a point where there's radical creation of code. Can you comment on the opportunity around that? Yeah, so this is definitely a complex balance, right? Uh, on the one hand, we do have a lot of code that you could train an ML system on. On the other hand, what do we do around privacy concerns? I would say one um, thing that I would start thinking about is there's actually a lot of code that is public. Um, and I think if it, and it is less data, but it is not fully clear if it's uh, if it's like a, a huge deal in context of this problem because um, yes, it's less data, but a lot of the actions, a lot of the common actions that you want to do are similar game to game. In some sense, training a model on some tutorial examples could actually train a better quality out because you're not using like random game specific code that happens to only work in context of this game. You're using something that a human audited to not just work in context, but be like a good educational uh, material, right? So yeah, I would start by asking, you know, we have a lot of code that we have written internally that we would not have uh, a lot of privacy concerns about. We can vet some of this. There's a lot of open source code. There's a lot of tutorial content, like, can we do something about this? I would say that uh, people, uh, we have launched an autocomplete engine based on the Luau type system, uh, I think last year. We had super positive um, response from this. Lots of people are saying it's like, 
works really well. It automatically recognizes a lot of intricate things in your game structure, things like this. So uh, I'm in general, the quality of our autocomplete engine is like very high, I think, at this point. But you are right. It is autocomplete. It is not let me write some code for you, right? Which is where um, this becomes interesting. But yeah, I would be super thoughtful about the privacy implications. I think the yeah. last thing we want to do is just blindly train this on all of the code and then just give the access to the model output to anyone. Great. Um, RC, this has been super uh, informative. Uh, I want to... Um, you know, last time I think we talked and the time before I pinged you a little on career advice. So this time I'm going to zero in on one question that there's really no right answer to or wrong answer to. And I think if we scanned all the graduation speeches of famous people at universities, we'll find about half of those speeches say do what you're passionate about and a subset say do what you're good at. And um, do you have, uh, I know I'm putting you on your spot. Do you have an opinion on which one of those you'd recommend to people? Yeah, so I think what's uh, worked well for me is find a very broad area that you're generally good at and then find a subset in this area that you're passionate about. And that's like a perfect match. But in general, I would say, I feel like to me, if you just lack passion on a given subject, it's going to be very difficult for you to be truly good at it because, you know, everything evolves and maybe you have studied something in the past and you have accumulated a lot of sort of knowledge about this, but are you keeping uh, up with the advancement in this area? If you're not passionate about this, it can be difficult to find time or just like get motivation for doing this. Are you thinking about out-of-the-box idea in this field again? Unless you're passionate about this, it's unlikely. So I would say definitely start with something that you're passionate about, but maybe find either a subset of this that you're good at, or maybe uh, like find an intersection between this, or maybe you can get good at things that you're not good at. Um, humans are good at, at sort of learning, right? So um, I'd say definitely try to be good at this, but I don't think that this should be a prerequisite. I think passion is more of a prerequisite. Arsene, as always, your answers are very thoughtful and nuanced, and I think our community <laughs> appreciates it. And I would highlight that during the last uh, 45 minutes or so, I learned a few things and I look for, I think there's many more areas we could go just as deep in. So I really wanna thank you for joining us, Arsene. That was awesome. Thank you. Okay, hey, that's all for this episode of Tech Talks. Thank you for listening. To learn more about careers at Roblox, visit roblox.com forward slash careers. I'm Dave Bazuki. See you again next time.